Today is April 1st, 2021, and our first story, the girlfriend of George Floyd has stated that one of the state's key witnesses was actually their drug dealer. The key witness then stated he would plead the fifth and is refusing to testify. New evidence from the defense increases the likelihood the jury will find reasonable doubt. My opinion, I believe Derek Chauvin may be acquitted and then we may see some very serious rioting. In our next story, new evidence emerges in the Matt Gates scandal, suggesting that he very well may be the victim of, of an extortion plot by a former federal prosecutor. Text messages make it seem that this may be the case, and it makes the FBI investigation questionable. And lastly, Project Veritas has released shocking videos of immigrants and children being held under a bridge and made to sleep in the dirt. But whose fault is this? And where are the progressive left to come out and call out Joe Biden for his mistreatment of these migrants? Before we get started, leave us a good review if you like the show. A comment would really help and five stars would really help. But if you're really, really a fan of the show, then share it with your friends because that helps even more. Now, let's get into that first story. As many of you are probably aware, the criminal trial of former police officer Derek Chauvin in the George Floyd case is being broadcast publicly. And I've been following it fairly closely. And I have to say, following statements made by the defense today, questions asked and statements made by witnesses, I genuinely believe that should the jury remain impartial and go through the evidence fairly, Derek Chauvin will be acquitted. The defense asked a series of questions that, in my opinion, absolutely present reasonable doubt. And some of this information has been available for months. But upon hearing the testimony from George Floyd's girlfriend, I'm sorry, I genuinely believe this will result in an acquittal on all charges. Now, before I used to say perhaps as an argument over manslaughter, there still sort of is. But for me, no, I think it's an acquittal. I'm just going to come out and say it very controversially after looking over the evidence and what was said. It appears now that George Floyd may have been in the middle of a drug deal when the police approached him. Previously, Judge Cahill had stated it appears that there was a tablet or something on the tongue of George Floyd. And the toxicology report came back showing that George Floyd had a substantial amount of fentanyl in his system. It would seem it was a drug deal. I won't bury the lead. George Floyd's girlfriend said that there was a there's a man, Maurice Lester Hall, and that George Floyd and him didn't spend a whole lot of time together, but sometimes. She was also, apparently in a statement to investigators, she also stated that they had obtained drugs from this man. That made me think, and again, it's just my opinion, we'll go through the evidence. If George Floyd didn't really hang out with this guy all that much, if this guy had provided them with drugs in the past, and breaking news, Maurice Lester Hall, who once said he would be the voice, voice of George Floyd, is now pleading the fifth, shocking everyone, saying he will not testify. It sounds like he was, in fact, just their dealer. It sounds like George Floyd was suffering from a drug overdose. The defense asked very important questions, pointing out that only a few months prior, George Floyd had complained of stomach pains. He had been foaming at the mouth and had to go to the hospital for a drug overdose. His girlfriend confirmed this. Seemed to be that she did not necessarily want to. Again, all of my opinion. But after watching this, it genuinely seems like while he was being arrested for the use, allegedly, of a counterfeit $20 bill, he was experiencing the same symptoms. Many people have stated in this video, 
George Floyd's apparently saying, I can't breathe before he was even put on the ground. Officers are pointing out he was foaming at the mouth. And the toxicology report shows that he had more than enough fentanyl in his system to cause an overdose. He was complaining of stomach pains, the same symptoms he had in his previous overdose. I want to go through what the law says. I want to show you what the George Floyd's girlfriend says. To me, it feels rather definitive. Now, we don't know for sure. Maybe the jury will look at this politically and say the city will burn to the ground if Chauvin is found not guilty. But there is a real problem of justice here. The state, in my opinion, does hold some responsibility. But the state is prosecuting Chauvin, a man who was trained to use that knee neck restraint. That's other information that was released by the defense. It would seem that perhaps the only thing they can really do is pay out a historic settlement, $27 million, which they did. And Chauvin was just doing as he was told by the state. Now, you may say that was wrong. And I hear you. We don't like the idea that he was perhaps negligent. Perhaps he shouldn't have used his, his knee in this way on George Floyd. But it was the state. It was the police. I told him to do it. I'm sorry, they can't turn around and then prosecute him for what they told him to do. All of this, in my opinion, presents more than reasonable doubt. But let me show you the evidence, because my opinion very well may be wrong. And he may be convicted. And there's maybe a lot that that is yet to be seen. But today's evidence is rather shocking. Before we get started, make sure you head over to TimCast.com and become a member to get access to exclusive members-only segments of the TimCast IRL podcast. The Purge is real, man. You know, you've, that you've seen them going after Steven Crowder. It's very likely that we're next on the chopping block. So we set up TimCast.com as a way to make sure that should anything happen, our content will still exist somewhere. Becoming a member gets you exclusive access to members-only segments with Jack Murphy and Jeremy Hambly and Cassandra Fairbanks and James O'Keefe. Full-on bonus episodes up to an hour long. So please consider joining. But don't forget to like, Share, subscribe, hit that notification bell. Let's get to it. Serious stuff. The Daily Mail reports George Floyd's girlfriend breaks down in court as she reveals they were both addicted to opioids and the drugs were sold by his friend who refuses to testify at Derek Chauvin's murder trial. This is huge, my friends. George Floyd's girlfriend, Courtney Ross, revealed today that they both purchased opioids from a friend who was in the passenger seat of Floyd's car on the day he died and is now refusing to testify at Derek Chauvin's murder trial. The friend, Maurice Lester Hall, a key witness for the state, filed a shock notice on Wednesday stating that he plans to invoke the Fifth Amendment against self-incrimination, meaning he will not testify. He was a witness for the state, for the prosecution. He's out. They needed him. He was a key witness. What do they have? The questions I ask, why was a man who had sold drugs to these people in the past sitting in the passenger seat of his car? Why did a judge say that it looked like George Floyd had something on his tongue? Why did George Floyd have all these drugs in his system? Could it have been a drug deal gone wrong? It could have been. This is in no way meant to absolve the state of their responsibilities and no way going to absolve the police officers of any accountability or liability. The point is, as an individual The state does not seem able to scapegoat Derek Chauvin. And I plead this to to the left and those who who want justice for George Floyd. We must hold the state accountable. The state. I mean, the government, not one random guy. The state 
who implements these training policies, who implements these over, overall policies on how they handle these things. It is ultimately their responsibility. But right now, it is the state trying to prosecute and scapegoat Derek Chauvin. I know it's a much bolder opinion that I've had in the past, but I've been looking over the evidence. I've been following this trial. They say when Ross was cross-examined by Chauvin's attorney, Eric Nelson, on Thursday, jurors heard that Hall sold controlled substances to both her and Floyd and that she did not like Maury's at all. Ross told the court how in March 2020, just two months before Floyd's death, he purchased pills that she did not recognize as the opioids to which both she and Floyd were addicted. She said the pills, which she believed landed Floyd in the hospital due to an accidental overdose, appeared thick and were not uniform, and that when she took them, they did not have the same effect as opioids. The pills seemed like it was really a really strong stimulant. I couldn't sleep at all that night. I felt very jittery. Earlier, Assistant Attorney General Matthew Frank had broached the issue of Floyd's drug use in an attempt to diffuse any damage that it might do should the jurors hear it first from the defense. Here's what I want to tell all of you. I, I, I have the utmost sympathy and empathy for George Floyd and his girlfriend. Opioid addiction is no laughing matter. And many people in this country are suffering from the epidemic of opioid abuse. It is addictive. People get prescribed this because prescribed this because they have some kind of pain or, or an ailment. But it is it creates a physiological dependence and people can have withdrawal symptoms from this. And so they become addicted. And then this is what happens. This is a tragic story. Now, we can complain about the system of policing, and I believe police reform is warranted. We can complain that maybe the police didn't do everything right, but it really does feel like a sad tragedy. And I don't know if justice is served by locking up the officers who were responding to a call where a man was suffering from taking too many drugs. This is more tragedy to me than anything. Now, this man, Maurice Lester Hall, was in the car, and now he's refusing to testify. Another very important bit of evidence that was revealed in the trial. Courtney Ross, George Floyd's girlfriend, she stated that in the phone of George Floyd, she is listed as Mama. That's her nickname. That's the term of endearment that George Floyd would use for her Mama. Many people saw that video, including myself, and we were, were, were brought to uh, nearly brought to tears. Seeing this man beg for his mother. Well, now we know it very well may have been him begging for the woman that he loved. It's sad. When I saw that and I saw uh, uh, Ross cry, man, that, that broke my heart. They, the, I can't, I, the defense brought this up. They asked her, what, did George, how, what was the name that George Floyd had for you? I'm, I'm sorry, he said. Let me, let me strike that. What, were, what, were, uh, what was your name saved as in George Floyd's phone? And she said, Mama. And then I learned that George Floyd was on the ground begging for the woman that he loved. And it's sad, man. And I'm like, you know, I feel that emotion and it breaks my heart. This whole situation, it's terrifying. It's horrifying. It's saddening. It's maddening. It makes me angry. But it doesn't mean that we lock people in prison. It doesn't. I don't like the prison system. I don't want retribution. I don't want a symbol. I want real reform and real justice. And I do not believe it will be served at this point based on everything I've heard. Let me just let me let me just go through some of this evidence. Brant Williams, he is a reporter in Minneapolis, Minnesota Public Radio, tweeted, Ross says she and Floyd had bought drugs for Maurice Hall, who was with Floyd on May 25th, 2020. Hall has filed a motion saying he will invoke his Fifth Amendment rights to avoid incriminating himself if called to testify. Now, I don't know if that means he did anything wrong. 
and I'm not going to assume it, but she stated that he was their dealer. I want to go back in time for you. This is from PBS, and this is important. In a PBS article from July 9th, 2020, transcripts show officer told George Floyd it takes a lot of oxygen to talk before his death. At one point, they, 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 they mentioned Gray said Floyd was acting erratically and had foam at his mouth, according to the body camera video transcripts. When asked about the foam and whether he was on something, Floyd said he was scared and had been playing basketball. The reason this is important, they say as, as officers struggled to get Floyd into the squad car, Floyd said, I can't breathe and I want to lay on the ground. The transcripts say this is from July 9th, 2020. He said, I can't breathe before he was placed on the ground. Shortness of breath, stomach pains, foaming at the mouth. I think there is reasonable doubt. Do I know that there was a drug deal? Of course not. I could be wrong about that. That's just my opinion based on what I've seen. Do I know that he was suffering from an overdose? I don't. I literally don't. But I believe there's reasonable doubt. A lot of people, I've gotten comments and they're like, Chauvin was on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And, and you know, what, what do we do about this? And I'm just like, listen, that's not the issue here is reasonable doubt. Will the jury hear these things and say, you know, honestly, I just don't know. And that's all it takes. You need to be proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And it's not what's happening. Now, testimony at Derek Chauvin trial triggers talk of expectations for retail workers to stopping theft. I'm not super concerned about the, the bulk of that article. I'm more interested in what they say. George Floyd appeared to be on drugs. Let me read some for you. They say cashier Christopher Martin thought something was off with a $20 bill a customer used to pay for cigarettes last May at the South Minneapolis convenience store where he worked. The bill was just a little too blue. And Martin decided to flag it to a manager. Before long, Martin saw the customer, later known to the world as George Floyd, handcuffed on the pavement and pleading for breath under the restraint of a Minneapolis police, Minneapolis police, the life, the life draining from his body. Martin, 19, paced outside anxiously, looking on in disbelief and guilt. He testified, if I would have just not taken the bill, this could have been avoided. Martin's gripping testimony triggered community discussions about retailers' expectations. Martin, who worked at Cup Foods and lived upstairs with his family, testified that the store's policy was that employees who accepted counterfeit bills from customers had to cover the lost money out of their paychecks. Martin testified that another man uh, came in first with the counterfeit bill and they wouldn't accept it. Then Floyd came in with a bill that the clerk was skeptical about. Martin didn't know Floyd, but Floyd had been friendly and talkative, though he appeared to be under the influence. And that's reasonable doubt, my friends. Let's go through some of the charges. What is Chauvin facing? First, murder in the second degree from reviser.mn.gov. They say murder in the second degree, intentional murder, drive-by shootings. Whoever does either of the following is guilty of murder in the second degree. Causes the death of a human being with intent to affect the death of that person, but without premeditation or causes the death of a human being while committing or attempting to commit a drive-by shooting. Let's just stop right there. It says causing the death of a human being with the intent to cause that death. Based on everything we've seen, does it appear that Chauvin wanted to kill this man? I don't believe so. Maybe he did, but reasonable doubt absolutely, in my opinion, established. That's just my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. Well, they reinstated, my understanding, they reinstated murder in the third degree. Okay. Let's read what this means. According to the same website, Minnesota at Minnesota.gov, murder in the third degree is defined as whoever without intent to affect the death of any person 
causes the death of another person by perpetrating an act eminently dangerous to others and evincing a depraved mind without regard for human life is guilty of murder in the third degree and may be sentenced to imprisonment of, uh, for not more than 25 years. Subsection, uh, section B, whoever without intent to cause death proximately causes the death of a human being by directly or indirectly unlawfully selling, giving away, bartering, delivering, or exchanging, or distributing, or administering a controlled substance. Aha. Now that may be what potentially could have implicated Maurice Lester Hall. If it turns out in this trial that they come to the conclusion that George Floyd died because he had ingested drugs, it would appear that his friend was actually at fault in mur- for murder in the third degree. And that is the important, one of the most important takeaways. The pieces start coming together. Maurice Lester Hall was known, according to the girlfriend, to have sold them drugs in the past. And that constitutes murder in the third degree. If it's true, George Floyd died because he ingested what was provided to him. So I'm not surprised then that Maurice Lester Hall has said he will invoke the Fifth Amendment. It doesn't mean he's guilty of anything. You have a right to to plead the fifth. It does not mean you've committed a crime. In my opinion, it just looks that this may be the case. Lastly, manslaughter in the second degree. They say, now, 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 let me stop for a second. I've said for a while, maybe manslaughter is where they get chauvin. Maybe. We're going to go through this because I no longer believe that's the case. Now, far be it from me to determine what a jury will or won't say, will or won't believe. There have been instances of sidebar and things stricken from the record. So maybe they'll consider different evidence than I have. They may come to a different conclusion. In my opinion, at this time, and there's still a trial ongoing, it may be, in my opinion, Chauvin will be acquitted. I don't know that for sure, though. But even on manslaughter charges, Minnesota.gov says manslaughter in second degree. A person who causes the death of another by any of the following means is guilty of manslaughter in the second degree and may be sentenced to imprisonment for not more than 10 years or to a payment of a fine not more than $20,000 or both. One, by the person's culpable negligence, whereby the person creates an unreasonable risk and consciously takes chances of causing death of great bodily harm to another or by shooting another with a firearm, that's that, that, that's meaningless. Setting a spring gun, pitfall, that's not, not relevant here. Negligently or intentionally permitting any animal, not relevant. By committing or attempting to commit a violation of 609.378, neglect or endangerment of a child. Okay, stop. The only thing we have here is 609.205 uh, uh, section 1. By the person's culpable negligence, whereby the person creates an unreasonable risk. Could it be? That Derek Chauvin created an unreasonable risk. I'm sorry, I just have to say no, and I believe Chauvin would be acquitted. Let me show you the evidence. This is this was released, my understanding, by the defense. It says, okay, they are in handcuffs. Now what? You've probably seen it before. I've covered this before. This is from a training manual. It says, sudden cardiac arrest typically occurs immediately following a violent struggle. Place the subject in the recovery position to alleviate positional asphyxia. Once in handcuffs, get EMS on the scene quickly to monitor and transport. Sign a transport hold on these individuals and complete a CIC report. Maybe there's more I don't know. But in the image, you can see in a police training video. This is not a legitimate video. So YouTube, I hope you understand that. This is just police training videos. It's a photograph of, an, of a man with his knee on the neck of another man explaining that this so it appears to say is the recovery position. Now, I've looked into it a little bit and it appears the reason they do this with the knee on the neck is because if you put your knee on their back, you can compress their chest and cause them to asphyxiate. 
Many people have said, but Tim, what about the witnesses who testified it was a dangerous blood choke? So what one guy said, apparently it was an MMA fighter. He said that this was a dangerous blood choke and they warned Chauvin to stop. I believe they, they might have the, uh, the MMA fighter here. MMA fighter and bystander Donald Williams. This is, uh, let me read this for you and we'll break this down. Donald Wynn Williams H., a mixed martial artist fighter and the prosecution's third witness who had yelled at Chauvin to check for a pulse and accused him of placing Floyd in what he called a kill choke, testified first on Monday before continuing on Tuesday. Williams became emotional as he spoke about how he called 911 after Floyd was placed in an ambulance because I believed I just witnessed a murder. I felt the need to call the police on the police. He began to cry as jurors were played audio of the call in which he named Officer 987 and said he just pretty much killed this guy. He wasn't resisting arrest. He had his knee on his neck. He wasn't resisting arrest or nothing. He was handcuffed. Williams said he witnessed Chauvin shimmying or adjusting his, his position on Floyd's neck in a recognized martial art maneuver designed to double down on and tighten a chokehold. He told how he watched Chauvin squeeze the life out of Floyd, who he said was in tremendous pain and faded away like a fish in a bag. He said that when he called Chauvin out for using a blood choke, the officer looked him straight in the eye and did not stop. Williams also told how Officer Tao Thao put his hand on the chest and pushed him back to the curb when he tried to intervene. According to Williams, the crowd that had gathered was not threatening the officers and his calls to check for a pulse were echoed by an off-duty firefighter whose pleas to the officers also went unheard. At the end of his 911 call, Williams was heard shouting at Tao, y'all murderers, man, y'all murderers. On cross-examination, Chauvin's attorney Nelson attempted to undercut Williams' presentation of himself as a controlled and professional observer of events who remained schooled by his training and experience in sports and security. Nelson appeared to be trying to provoke Williams into a display of anger as he repeatedly tried to discredit his claims to having uh, to having remained calm. You started calling Chauvin names, didn't you? You called him a tough guy. You called him such a man, bogus. You called him a bum 13 times. You called him the B word. But while Williams agreed to all of those assertions, he would not be persuaded to agree to Nelson's characterization of him as angry or threatening. Asked if he had told the officer Tao Thao that he hoped he would, I'm not going to repeat that. No, I said, you will shoot yourself in two years because of what you did. Yikes. Was it a dangerous blood chuck? I'm not an expert. It may have been. The problem still arises with this photo. Derek Chauvin, I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm not saying he's innocent. I'm saying reasonable doubt when we're talking about the charges. That's all it takes. Maybe there was intent. I don't know, but I have doubt. And I'm not saying I like this guy. I don't know the guy. But I also think this. You're arresting and detaining someone. You have reason to believe they've committed a crime, may have been involved in a, in, in a drug deal, may have taken drugs. The cops have already said he's on something. They're concerned about, I believe it's called excited delirium. And so they've put this man in the position they were trained to put him in. A bunch of people are screaming at you. Am I to assume that Chauvin knew what each and every one of these individuals was saying to him in this moment? Perhaps there's still an argument about Chauvin putting his knee on the neck of Floyd for too long. Well, I may be, may, be, may be able to present you some reasonable doubt beyond that as well. I give you the Hennepin County uh, toxicology report. They say toxicology, see attached report for full details. Testing performed on antemortem blood specimens collected 52520 at 9 p.m. at HHC and on postmortem urine. A. 
blood drug and novel psychoactive substance screens show one fentanyl at 11 nanograms per milliliter two norfentanyl at 5.6 nanograms per milliliter three four dash ANPP at 0.65 nanograms per milliliter four methamphetamine at 19 nanograms per milliliter five 11 hydroxy delta 9 THC delta 9 carboxy THC 42 nanograms per milliliter delta 9 THC 2.9 nanograms per milliliter cotinine positive caffeine positive I have not looked up the fatal dose of methamphetamine I did however look up fentanyl because that was what was um, in question Tucker Carlson was bold enough to say that he was he did die from a, a drug overdose. I'm still not saying that. I am absolutely not saying that. I've long maintained that the medical uh, report says a combination of multiple factors, including a heart condition, drugs in a system, and restraint. Far be it from me to question the medical examiner. But I do believe reasonable doubt is being attained here. As much as I can't tell you what was the number one cause or what the factors were, I can only defer to the expert. I can point out other experts. Fentanyl at 11 nanograms per milliliter. Okay. This is from emcdda.europa.eu. Pharmacology of fentanyl. They say overdose results in respiratory depression, which is reversible with naloxone. Respiratory depression. Maybe like I can't breathe. Maybe why he had been saying I can't breathe, breathe before he was restrained. They say sudden death can also occur because of cardiac arrest or severe anaphylactic reaction. The estimated lethal dose of fentanyl in humans is two milligrams. The recommended serum concentration for analgesia, analgesia is one to two nanograms per milliliter. And for anesthesia, it is 10 to 20 nanograms per milliliter. Blood concentrations of approximately seven nanograms per milliliter or greater have been associated with fatalities where polysubstance use was involved. While fatalities have been reported after therapeutic use, many deaths have occurred as a result of the misuse of pharmaceutical products. Both used and unused fentanyl patches have been injected, smoked, snorted, or taken orally with fatal consequences. Seven nanograms per milliliter with polysubstance use. George Floyd had 11 nanograms per milliliter per the toxicology report. I'm sorry. Reasonable doubt, at least in my opinion. But hold on. Polysubstance use. What is that? They say polydrug use involves the consumption of more than one drug at once. Although polysubstance abuse often refers to the abuse of multiple illicit drugs, it is also inclusive of prescription medications used in non-medical circumstances. Let's go back. Multiple substances, THC, methamphetamine, fentanyl. Now, many may be asking, what is norfentanyl? My understanding of norfentanyl, and I am not a chemist, it is hard for me to break a lot of these things down. I didn't read into every single possible uh, drug yet taken. I don't have the, the lethal, the fatal dose of methamphetamine pulled up. I looked at the fentanyl because that was the claim, and it's listed at number one. And many people have pointed out, including Tucker Carlson. Well, they say this. In one study published at NIH.gov, a study of the urinary concentration of fentanyl and its major metabolite, norfentanyl. What is a metabolite? Well, in this context, I believe it refers to what is produced after your body metabolizes fentanyl, in which case it may be that the norfentanyl in his system is a byproduct produced by the metabolization of the fentanyl in his system, in which case he may have actually had a lot more. Now, I don't know if, if there's a one for one ratio between fentanyl metabolization and norfentanyl, that it's possible that 
George Floyd had 17 nanograms per milliliter of fentanyl in his system at one point, potentially less. Between 10 and 20 is used for anesthesia. To me, that's a lot. With polysubstance use, seven, which is four nanograms per milliliter higher than what was found in his antemortem blood specimens collected. Or I should say, uh, it says antemortem blood specimens collected at 2520 at 9 p.m. And on postmortem urine. I'm sorry, man. I'm not trying to be mean. I have I have the utmost sympathy and empathy for people who are addicted to opiates. I wish George Floyd did not experience this. I wish the cashier just let the $20 slide, man. I am sad that this dude lost his life. I don't care. Some people said, Tim, he was driving. I get it, man. I get it. And I understand. I think people should be allowed. It should not be a crime to be addicted to something. You need help. This dude wasn't going around hurting people. George Floyd had a video where he was telling kids to stay away from the trouble, stay away from the crimes, the things that he had done in his youth. That's the kind of voice they need. And why was he on opiates? Man, do you think that people just one day wake up and decide to do these things? It's because they're suffering. It's because something is wrong. There are so many people in this country, even Donald Trump talked about this, that are suffering from opioid addiction. I want them to be helped. I don't care if it was a drug deal gone wrong. I don't think it should have been illegal in the first place. I think it's sad. But I don't think justice is served by having the state scapegoat the cops who were told to do this. I think we got a problem with the policing system in this country. I think we need heavy police reforms. And I don't think the problem is solved with a scapegoat. I think we need to focus on what's going on with the laws in this country. I think we need to end the war on drugs. If there was no war on drugs, George Floyd would have been like, is there a problem? It would have been it. I remember uh, these stories from back in the day about college frats and people drinking alcohol. There was one story in particular that I I, I went over uh, when I was like 18. I remember reading this story, talking about it. Some kid, 18, goes to college, drinks some alcohol, drinks a lot of alcohol, actually. He gets alcohol poisoning. His friends were worried about him. They didn't want to call the police or an ambulance, though. They were worried. He'll get in trouble. Not allowed to drink under the age of 21. So instead, they just put him on his side and put him on a couch and said, he'll be all right. When they woke up, he was dead. When they woke up, they went in the room and they found him dead. How is justice being served in this system when we penalize people for nonviolent offenses like this? George Floyd should still be alive right now. I don't care if you like the guy or not. I don't care if you want to besmirch him based on his past history. I don't fault people for being addicted to drugs. And I think I'm a very libertarian-minded person, a little L-libertarian, mind you, not the libertarian party. But I, I don't think it should have been a crime. And I think, just like this kid who was 18, he's an adult, man, living on his own at college, and he wanted to have some drinks. If it was not illegal for the kids to have it, they'd have called the ambulance and saved his life. Instead, your stupid laws that don't serve justice freak people out. Look, man. They say all these things are, are, are illegal to take, and I, I'm not a fan of drugs at all. I don't think people should be taking it. Don't break the law. Don't deal in these things. George Floyd, he's responsible for breaking the law. That's true. I just think we need to end the war on drugs. And maybe the penalty for these laws should be specific to treatment, not penalty, not prison. That makes no sense, putting someone in jail for a nonviolent offense. No, you put them in a clinic. You get them help. You help them break this addiction. George Floyd's girlfriend testified that they had injuries and chronic pain. 
that resulted in prescription medications that turned into addiction. I have heard this story so many times. It's tragedy, man. I don't think justice is served by throwing these these cops under the bus. I don't care if you like the cops or not. It is a simple, immature and childish, childish solution. I'm sorry, it's not even a solution. Take a look at this. Esme Murphy, in September of 2020, reporter anchor for WCCO TV. She tweeted, Judge Cahill says a pill was visible in George Floyd's mouth in Thomas Lane body camera footage from the police tribune. NewsGuard certified. Gray said that body camera video of Floyd's arrest showed a white spot on his tongue that disappeared a moment later. And something had happened in the past. Law and crime reports. This is from March 19th. Derek Chauvin trial judge allows evidence that George Floyd ingested drugs, suffered heart trouble in May 2019. Police stop. Something similar had happened a year before. He had overdosed only a few months before this incident. More than a reasonable doubt, man. I want the system reformed. I want the war on drugs to be over now. I believe that people who are suffering need treatment. I believe the government should be taxing and regulated the use of these drugs. That way, people have an easy path to seek help when they're addicted. People can die from withdrawal, man. People can die from withdrawal to alcohol if they're an alcoholic. These are people who need help. But what do we do? What do we do? Retribution, punishment. It serves no one except maybe private prison industries. Instead of getting a reasonable discussion about how we can reform the prison system, how can we reform these laws and help people who are sick? Instead of creating rehabilitative justice systems, we get demands for a scapegoat. And so long as the only thing we have in this country is a left that says off with his head and they forget about the real problems, we will not fix this system. How hard would it be to go and demand of our representatives that these laws be changed. The cops find one day after we change these laws, the cops walk up to a man in his vehicle accused of using a counter $20 bill. And he seems to be high on something. And they say, you are right, buddy. And he says, I'm feeling kind of sick. My stomach hurts. I can't breathe. And they say, wait right here. We're going to get you an ambulance. They could have done that now. I know they could have. But George Floyd was worried. He had committed a crime, a very serious one. He's going to go to jail for it because he was addicted. That's so screwed up, man. The system is so screwed up. Justice is not being served for anybody. As long as people are full of rage and they want to just burn things down. And so long as the state is unwilling to accept its responsibility for the systems it creates, they'll give you a scapegoat. They'll prosecute Derek Chauvin, a man who is trained to use the knee neck restraint. They'll now say he did it. It's his fault, not ours. (laughs) Our stupid laws. They won't blame the federal government's stupid laws either. So how about this squad members? How about this progressives? Each and every one of you pass some kind of bill. End the war on drugs now. These people need help. For the time being. Listen, I get it. He committed a crime. Don't do drugs, man. Stay away from these illegal substances. I personally can't stand any of it. I witnessed this stuff growing up in Chicago. I witnessed people getting sick. I have all the stories of people overdosing. It's a nightmare reality. And it breaks my heart that there are people who are addicted and don't want to be. And they're living in fear. They could go to prison because of a physiological dependence from a prescription medication. Trump was right about opioids. In this instance, George Floyd, in my opinion, he's still a victim. I get it. He committed a crime. I get it. 
I do. I want to help people. Even people who commit violent crimes, I want to help them too. I, I believe that people can be rehabilitated. I believe that we can help save these people. Instead, we have a punitive retribution system. It's not a justice system. We throw people in the hole. We throw away the key. We radicalize people in prison. We don't. We don't care. Maybe we really do, though. And maybe it's time we change this. And the next time someone is suffering from an overdose, they just say, don't worry, you're not in trouble for this. We're going to help you. But see, the police are told to do things. And this is the fault of the system. I'm not going to throw the individual under the bus because the system is broken. I can't. I won't do it. I will say each and every one of these police officers needs to stand up to unjust laws. But so long as the laws are in place as we have them, we need to reform the system. Otherwise, more tragedies will happen. Can't the, the, the far left and the, and, and the conservatives agree on this one? The libertarian left, libertarian right, the state is at fault on this one? Well, they're the ones prosecuting Chauvin. It's just BS, man. We'll see how the trial plays out. I'll leave it there. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. The next segment's coming up live tonight at 8 p.m. at youtube.com slash timcastirl. It's a live show, and we'll see you all there. Tucker Carlson recently interviewed GOP rep Matt Gates. Following the interview, Tucker said it was the weirdest interview he had ever done. As a viewer, it really seemed like one of the weirdest interviews I've ever seen. And the story is just outright crazy, and my friends, it gets even crazier. It all started with a story from the New York Times. A claim that Matt Gates is being investigated for trafficking a 17-year-old woman, essentially hooking up with her, paying for her travel and things like that. And if he did induce a minor to cross state lines, well, you got some very serious federal charges. But Matt Gates fired back saying, no, this is part of an extortion scheme to steal $25 million from my family. And it seems that part is true. Now, here's where it gets crazy. Is this a story of a former DOJ official who ignited a fake investigation into Gates to use as leverage, absolve himself of any responsibility or liability or criminal accountability, and then say, oh, look at this criminal investigation, Mr. Gates, you're gonna have to give us 25 million bucks to make it go away. Hey, we didn't start the investigation. Or is it there was an investigation started and this former DOJ official got leaked some privy information and said, I'll tell you what, Mr. Gates, to, his, to Matt Gates' dad, I can make all of these troubles go away because I know the right people. Maybe even the president will issue a pardon and make this all go away if you give us $25 million. The story's really weird. And initially, I didn't know what to believe when I heard that Matt Gates was accused of this. I'm like, dude, look, Matt Gates, I think he's an all right guy. He's, he's actually in my top 10 list of politicians I can actually, I, I actually respect in, in certain capacities. And the reason for it is Matt Gates is a fighter. He's actually standing up for a lot of the things that people are asking of him. And I respect that. Not perfect. Not my favorite politician. But there's very few, if any, that I would say anything nice about. Rand Paul, he's way up there. Good dude. Ron Paul as well. Even though I don't agree with him on everything, I respect the libertarianism. I respect the respect for individual liberties. When I saw this story... I was like, yeah, look, man, you know, politicians flying around doing whatever. I mean, Matt Gates is not old and he's like late 30s. Maybe a couple of years ago he was he was meeting some young girls or something. Maybe. I mean, this chick is 17. Possible she even lied about her age. Who knows? That may be the case. But then I have to wonder, who is this guy asking for twenty five million dollars who claims he can make this go away? What makes 
him think he can do this? And why should the Gates family actually believe it? That's where it gets crazy. You see, some are saying this is not an extortion scheme because the former DOJ official doesn't work for the for the DOJ anymore. He's former, right? So clearly has nothing to do with the scheme unless he is just the third party to come out and, you know, look, you got you got one guy starts an investigation, makes wild and crazy accusations that will destroy the career of Gates. Then you get another guy not in the same department to say, oh, don't look at me. I don't know who started this, but I can go and talk to him if you want. Dude, this sounds to me like classic extortion. People don't just walk up to you and go, ah, sir, Mr. Politician. If you don't give me the money, I am going to lie and do these things. They don't do that because they'll go to prison. They need to create some kind of plausible deniability. And it's what they have now, but I'm sorry. The story is nobody was supposed to know about this investigation. And this guy apparently was like, give me $25 million. Now, it's also apparently true, at least this is what the reporting we have is, that Matt Gates's dad was working with the FBI investigating this as an extortion attempt. So is this story about Matt Gates true? Well, it may be that he actually did these things or the investigation's real. And this guy was like, I know people at the DOJ. I can, you know, maybe make them change their mind. Or maybe the more conspiratorial nature aspect of this would be his friends in the DOJ started the investigation specifically so that he could use it as leverage. I have no evidence of that, but let's read the story because we've got new evidence that's emerged in this wild and crazy and salacious story. The Examiner reports documents detail wild alleged $25 million Gates extortion scheme. Rep. Matt Gates possesses text messages, screenshots, an email, and a typed document that purportedly support his claims that a federal investigation into his relationship with a 17-year-old is related to an extortion scheme against him. On Tuesday, the New York Times reported reported that the Justice Department is investigating whether Gates had an adult relationship with a 17-year-old and paid her to travel with him. Gates has called the report totally false. Gates told Axios that his lawyers told him that he was not a target, but a subject of an investigation regarding adult conduct with women. The Florida Republican countered the report on Twitter and in statements to Axios and Fox News with a claim that his family is being extorted for $25 million and that the people pushing stories about an investigation into his relationship with women are the people extorting him and the subjects of an FBI extortion investigation over the last few weeks. I'm going to stop right there. How did this story leak to the New York Times? How much you want to bet the people who are trying to extort Gates got wind that they were about to be exposed. And so they just leaked the information, say, do it, pull the trigger. We're done. And that will maybe get some heat off their back. It seems the investigation into this extortion attempt, uh, uh, alleged extortion attempt, I should say, is real. I mean, they've got apparently uh, someone from the FBI is like, you should have saved and saying, yes, you know, they're working with us and the FBI and we're doing this. So could it be that this was leaked to the New York Times as a weapon? And the New York Times are useful idiots. Yeah, it's entirely possible. Let's read more. The documents in Gates's possession in uh, possession detail an alleged scheme that revolves around attempts by former Air Force intelligence officer Bob Kent and Beggs and Lane attorney David McGee, a former federal prosecutor, to free ex-FBI agent turned private investigator Robert Levinson from imprisonment in Iran. Well, now, look, I'd like to see that guy return from prison as well, man. Seriously, I don't, I don't want this guy imprisoned in Iran. Levinson went missing in Iran in March 2007. McGee is the attorney for the Levinson family. 
Kent, in December 2018, had planned a secret mission to try to rescue Levinson, but he was reportedly thwarted by the federal government. Screenshots provided to the Washington Examiner show a message that his father, Don Gates, a former Florida State Senate president, said he received from Kent on March 16th. The message proposes, quote, a plan that can make Matt Gates's future legal and political problems go away. Gates has denied any relationship with a minor. Despite, isn't that amazing? Look, I don't know if this investigation's going to find anything legitimate, but isn't it amazing that already the left is saying Matt Gates should be purged from his committees? He's not been convicted of anything. There's been an accusation. There's been some information leaked to the press. And we also have this. This is very suspect. We have evidence that suggests there is an extortion attempt on his family, regardless of whether or not the investigation is real. And already it's being weaponized politically. That to me, that to me is really scary. Already now, Matt Gates has to make these denials. And that's the name of the game. Like I, men- I mentioned this in a couple segments. I was watching Man of the Year. Check it out. In one part, I think it's like Lewis Black is talking about this. You, know, you guys know Lewis Black, the comedian, right? And it was something, I think it was Lewis Black. It might have been Christopher Walken saying that Lyndon Johnson wanted to accuse his opponent of relations with animals. Not that, and they were like, can you prove that? No, I just want to hear him deny it. Exactly. That's what they do. They say it, and now you must deny it. That is bad enough because in the, in the court of public opinion, they can't tell the difference. The idea is there. That's what they'll say. They're going to say, despite the family members of Levinson saying in March 2020 that they presumed him to be dead based on information given by U.S. officials, the alleged message from Kent said that he had located Levinson in Iran and has two proof of life videos. Kent also requested the Gates family help returning Levinson in exchange for giving Matt Gates credit for the operation and promising a presidential pardon for unnamed legal issues. Really amazing stuff. The next day on March 17th, Don Gates purportedly met with Kent, and Kent handed him a three-page document outlining Project Homecoming. That document detailed a plan to save Levinson at the cost of a $25 million loan. Check this out. This is a text message posted by the Washington Examiner. We can only assume is true, I suppose. Maybe it isn't, but this is what it says. It says, Don, Mr. Gates, I would like to talk with you immediately about the current federal investigation and the indictment that is about to be filed against your son. I have a plan that can make his future legal and political problems go away. Last summer, we located Robert Levinson in Iran and took two proof of life videos, but the U.S. government foiled our rescue attempt. We have one more opportunity to rescue Levinson. If you and Matt are willing to help us privately and clandestinely obtain the release of Robert Levinson, I will ensure and the image they have breaks off. But in the larger document, he even goes on to imply the president wants this to happen. So, so let's let's read more. They say. In 1983, Don Gates co-founded Vitus Healthcare, and in 2004, he and his co-founders reportedly sold their stock in the company for $406 million. In the Project Homecoming document, Kent then asked that the loan should be deposited in the trust account of Beggs and Land, naming David L. McGee, and deposited no later than March 19th. If this was just a friendly request for a loan, why would they have a deadline on when the loan had to come in? You see why this is creepy? The Project Homecoming document states that Gates is under investigation by the FBI for various public corruption and public integrity issues and alleges that the FBI is aware of photos depicting Gates in an multiple person adult position with underage women of the night. We keep things family friendly here on Timcast. In exchange for the funds being arranged and upon the release of Mr. Levinson, the team that delivers Mr. Levinson to the president of the United States shall strongly advocate that President Biden issue a presidential pardon 
or instruct the Department of Justice to terminate any and all investigations into Congressman Gates. The document reads. And there's a document right here. It is also implied that the White House has some knowledge of the plan. Quote, the team has been assured by the president that he will strongly consider such matters because he considers the release of Robert Levinson a matter of national urgency. The White House did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Let's slow down here. This scandal is getting spicy, my friends. Okay, maybe it's not an extortion scheme, right? That's what they say. Maybe is it fraud to go to someone and say, trust me, we talked to the president. The team has been assured by the president that he will consider helping out with your legal troubles should you give us $25 million. Uh, If that's not true, they're committing fraud. If it is true, it implicates the president himself. So maybe it's just not true. I don't know. I think Biden's kind of a crooked guy. Let's read on. Stephen M. Alford, who has previously faced fraud and extortion charges, was also allegedly at the March 17th meeting and gave Don Gates his business card showing Captain Consultants. The April 2020 articles of incorporation for the company indicate they came from Beggs and Land, McGee's firm. Kent, McGee, and Alford did not respond to requests for comment. McGee told the Daily Beast on Tuesday night following Gates naming him on national television that any claims that he or his law firm were involved in extortion are completely, totally false, adding, this is a blatant attempt to distract from the fact that Matt Gates is apparently about to be indicted for uh, trafficking underage girls. Another email chain appears to confirm the existence of the FBI uh, investigating extortion claims. Quote, my client, Don Gates, was approached by two individuals to make a sizable payment in what I would call a scheme to defraud. Jeffrey Naiman said in a March 25th email to the Department of Justice, the FBI is not asking Don to voluntarily and proactively assist in their investigation, which Don is willing to do. Please confirm that your office and the FBI would like Don's assistance in this matter and that he will be working at the government's request. Assistant U.S. Attorney David Goldberg responded, I can confirm that your client is working with my office as well as the FBI at the government's request in order to determine if a federal crime has been committed. This has been discussed with and approved by the FBI, as well as the leadership of my office and components of Maine Justice. Now, let's slow down there a minute. What if This investigation into Matt Gates is bunk BS meant to create extreme pressure and fear and anxiety in the Gates family. So when that somehow this guy finds out about the investigation and goes to them saying, maybe you grease the wheels a little bit with 25 million bucks, we make this all go away. How does this guy have the ability to make it go away? Why should we believe him? Why should we trust the president is even involved? And then is it possible that when they started working with the FBI to expose the scheme, Someone at the FBI, because that's what it is, got wind of the, the of Don Gates wearing a wire. And so they said, abort mission, leak the story. Is that what it is? Because then it's, it's, it's quite clever if that's the case. You know why? Because then they can say exactly what they said to the Daily Beast. This is not an extortion claim. He's just trying to hide the fact that he's accused of blah, blah, blah. Or maybe he is. But I got to tell you, my friends, I got some questions. How did this McGee guy know about the investigation into Matt Gates? He's not the DOJ. Who told him? Is it possible there was an investigation? Someone found out and said, hey, this is an opportunity to get some money. Why don't you go do this? How did they find out? Isn't that weird? They say the Department of Justice and the FBI declined to comment on the email or the existence of an extortion investigation. Naaman also declined to comment. 
Gates on Fox News Tuesday night said his father wore a wire in order to assist with the case, and he demanded that the Department of Justice and the FBI release the audio recordings that were made under the supervision and at their direction, which will prove my innocence. He suspects that a leak to the New York Times story about the investigation into whether he had a relationship with a 17-year-old was timed to thwart the FBI investigation into the extortion. Quote, this former DOJ official tomorrow was supposed to be contacted by my father so that specific instructions could be given regarding the wiring of $4.5 million as a down payment on this bribe, Gates said. I don't think it's a coincidence that tonight, somehow, the New York Times is leaking this information, smearing me and ruining the investigation that would likely result in one of the former colleagues of the current DOJ being brought to justice for trying to extort me and my family. Could it be that at this uh, meeting or whatever this contact was supposed to be, it could have implicated the insider at the DOJ. So he aborted, leaked the information. I just asked these questions. You know, I don't know for sure. It could very well be that Matt Gates is a nasty dude and uh, committed some crimes. That could be. We don't know. Innocent until proven guilty. And the mere fact that we're talking about this and, and, and smearing the reputation of Gates shows the, 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 they've already won. If it really is an extortion scheme, you need uh, extortion scheme. You need only make the accusation, and it's too late. Now, there's there's this really funny Twitter thread. There's a, a meme going around. There's a guy named Matt Gertz, and it's like someone took his uh, Twitter replies, and it's just him saying "wrong guy, wrong guy, not me." You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. Like eight hundred times. Ah, yeah, there it is. Because it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Now, I've certainly not faced any kind of accusations like this. This is crazy. But I've had news outlets write obviously false stories about me. Recently, even legit, obviously false to anybody who actually read it. But people don't care. They, they read a headline and they're like, that's that, that's it. It's true. And that's why we have the Fifth Amendment. That's why we have a right to a trial by jury, a speedy trial. They go on to say the 17 year old in question doesn't exist, Gates said, adding that he has not had a relationship with a 17 year old and it's totally false. Now, here's where it gets really fascinating. This is the Washington Examiner, the Washington Post. Gates investigation complicated by overture to his father about ex-FBI agent who went missing. Complicated. This is really funny framing the Washington Post. They could simply say evidence suggests Matt Gates's claims do have veracity. That's it. But instead, the way they frame it is Gates is being investigated for this. And now it's complicated by this extortion scheme. How did they know about the investigation? Who leaked the information? Either way, there's fraud here. What I love about the Washington Post article is they try so hard to make it seem like nothing's going to happen. In this article, they go on to say, you know, let, let, me, let, me, let me see if I can find it specifically. They mentioned that there's no real, you know, they, they don't think it'll actually lead to criminal charges and we don't know what's going to happen. This is kind of a long article. A 2019 photograph posted by Greenberg. So there, there's there's some stuff here about an associate who was seen with Matt Gates and stuff for sure. It is also alleged that yada, yada. OK, whatever. In the Washington Post story, I don't want to read through it because it's just rehashing a lot of the same stuff. They point out that certain legal experts say they don't think that criminal charges will be likely with extortion because it's really hard to prove. And that may be the case. But I suppose there's still fraud here. And that's, I think, the important takeaway. Unless the president is really involved, right? That's, that, that, that's, 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 that's the thing that really freaks me out. It really, this really freaks me out. You know what I'm going to say? It feels like everything's falling apart. Take this story for what it is without drawing any conclusions. And you have some very important facts. 
a former DOJ official, got privy information about an investigation into a sitting U.S. rep. How? Why? Who leaked that information? He then tried using it as leverage to secure $25 million from his family, according to statements made by Matt Gates. And maybe that's not true. But we did see the, 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 the documents in the message, and we, we see the confirmation about an investigation into potential extortion. Someone at the DOJ gave this information to someone outside the DOJ. It just feels like everything's falling apart, man. It really feels like it's all falling apart. Kind of freaks me out, you know? It's, it's, it's particularly worrying. Can we trust the FBI that we're going to get a fair shake when we go to them when we see stories like this? Because even if it is not true, even if there's really an investigation and it's some other guy investigating Matt Gates, who's leaking this information and who can we trust? If you have a federal crime committed against you and then you go and call law enforcement, you call the feds and say, please help me. Can you trust the institution? That's scary to me, man. I'd like to believe it. I, I want to believe, right? Shout out to Agent Mulder from the fictional X-Files. Or I don't know, maybe X-Files are real, but the show, you get, you get my point. I want to believe that they've got my back and that they'll do the right thing. But I can't because this information leaks. Because people then weaponize it, promising to make it go away. So what are we supposed to do and what are we supposed to believe in? No, I'm convinced that the reality is, I think the reality is, the elites are protected and we're not. And Matt Gates is not is not part of that establishment club, so they don't care about him. Certainly he's an elite. You know, his family's very wealthy. But this is scary stuff, man. It freaks me out. The leak itself is scary. Because it goes to the New York Times. He's not been convicted of anything. He's not even been indicted of anything. It's an investigation. And they could come out tomorrow and be like the investigation found nothing. But it's too late. The lie travels halfway around the world before the truth can strap on its boots. That's the nature of the game. And so long as there are individuals leaking these stories, man, feels like it's all falling apart. What is Matt Gates to do if they actually are making these claims and they're false? Will Matt Gates just say, like, imagine, imagine the accusations against him are truly false. Will he just give in to false charges or will he stand up and say no? But what does that mean? I don't know, man, but I do know that we are so hyper-polarized at this point. It's freaking me out bad. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Shocking videos released by Project Veritas confirm a story published in the Wall Street Journal only a few days ago. Customs and Border Protection are detaining migrants, including children, under a bridge, with many being made to sleep in the dirt. This video, man, what, what Project Veritas has published is, is, is pretty horrifying stuff. Look, there's a, there's a lot that I can defend because sometimes life is hard. Donald Trump was not putting kids in cages or concentration camps. First and foremost, they were set up by Obama. And what should we do? Have the kids wander through the desert? No, I, unfortunately, this is the rock and the hard place we find ourselves between. And some of these children were found wandering the desert, so perhaps taking them to a detention facility made sense. Perhaps it made sense for Donald Trump to vet the families to make sure these children weren't being trafficked or used as props by adults so they can claim asylum, say, oh, my children, which some of them do. 
Joe Biden is not wrong either. Joe Biden running these facilities where children are being detained and held. They are not concentration camps. And he seemingly has no other choice. Now, perhaps I'm wrong about that. Perhaps Trump and Biden both had a choice from what, what I see and what I understand. I don't know what else you do. The children should not be just cast out into the desert. So they're going to be detained. As for this, uh, this video, man, it's, it's shocking. But I'll tell you this. The problem is Joe Biden. I know. And many people are going to say, aha, hypocrite. You know, under Donald Trump, there are people staying under bridges as well. Yes, but under Donald Trump, he was actively trying to stop this. He didn't make the facilities and he was actively saying, do not come to the border. In fact, he was telling people to stay in Mexico. The remain in Mexico policy helped to slow down and effectively stop much of this surge. People were still coming to the border. They were still trying to get asylum. Sure. But the problem now is that Joe Biden is creating this sense of urgency in many of these illegal immigrants and these children. You better come now if you want the opportunity. And that's what they told ABC and NBC. So the problem isn't that CBP has nowhere to put these people and now they're under a bridge. Don't get me wrong. That is a problem. It's horrifying. But the root cause, it's political inability. Joe Biden needs to be stronger on his messaging, and maybe he needs to implement those Trump era policies to get these numbers back down. Instead, they'll keep coming. And then what do you think CBP will do? More horrifying circumstances like this. Look, I don't want to see these kids kids in these migrant facilities. They're not cages, they're not concentration camps. I don't want to see them there. I want to see him in school. I want to see him taken care of. And I want to see them find the American dream. I really do. But it's not being done this way. Let me show you what's going on. And then we'll talk about some of the hypocrisy from Ocasio-Cortez, because all of a sudden now she's flipping her position. The other day she said there is no border crisis. Now she's coming out and saying it's inhumane and horrible and we must pay reparations. Yeah, testing the water didn't work out too well for you, did it? Or, or maybe it actually did. She threw it, threw it out there to see what the left would say. And then when reacted negatively and said, you hypocrite, she's like, no, 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 I'll call out Biden. Sure. And I want to show you what was going on during the Trump era and talk to you about root problems and how we deal with this. Project Veritas in their latest expose secretly recorded video shows migrants, including children held under bridge in makeshift customs and border protection processing center, enduring inhumane conditions at southern border. New CBP insider provides never before, never before seen footage of the conditions illegal immigrants are facing under the Anzalduis International Bridge in McAllen, Texas. Migrants of all ages can be seen lying on dirt in tight quarters with only space blankets provided for warmth. For those not familiar, these, these are called mylar blankets, and it's like a thin foil that helps keep the heat in. The story comes on the heels of Project Veritas' exclusive image images from a detention center in Donna, Texas, which eerily mirrors the conditions at the Anzalduis International Bridge. A brave insider felt compelled to record and send never-before-seen footage to Project Veritas in an effort to illustrate the inhumane conditions illegal immigrants, many of them minors, face while in custody. The area under the bridge was converted into a makeshift processing center for CBP due to the overflow of normal detention facilities near the southern border. I want to stop. Whose fault is this? I don't blame CBP for not having the resources or the ability to deal with this. If a fire broke out and we were watching a building on fire and the firefighters couldn't put it out, I wouldn't blame the firefighters for the fire. I'd ask what started the fire. And while I certainly want these children in better conditions, and I think we all should make demands of of such, 
improve the conditions for all of these kids that are being held, while at the same time, we must make sure we are not increasing the pull factor. That's what they call it. That's when Joe Biden comes out and says, come on, man, you know, no deportations for 100 days. And they're like, oh, I better get there now. I want each and every one of these immigrants, illegal immigrants, to have the American dream, because this is the greatest country, isn't it? And these people, not every single one, but many, are willing to climb mountains and traverse vast swaths of desert to get it. I respect that. However, there's a legal process for a reason, because it is it is dangerous, and we don't want unnecessary death, and we don't want to be panicked and scattered trying to bring these kids into some kind of processing facility, not knowing who they are, where they are, who's manipulating, who's trafficking them. We can't just leave the door open. Human traffickers, really nasty people are exploiting these kids. CBP needs to stop them and make sure these kids are doing okay. But I am sick and tired of the left. You know why? Because all that really matters to them is that they're going to earn their brownie points by tribalistically complaining about one thing or another. All right. Let's go to what AOC is saying about this. Well, okay, but first, let me show you. This is a huge story. You know, a lot of people want to challenge the credibility of Project Veritas. They just got us video footage from a brave insider backing up, confirming a report from the Wall Street Journal in a Texas border town. Migrant families sleep under a bridge as local resources are strained. Border Patrol is scrambling to find spaces for families, while some local officials and businesses and business owners worry about the effects on their towns. Okay. Ocasio-Cortez. I know a lot of people say, don't talk about her. What's the point? Listen, she has so many followers. It's just a problem, isn't it? AOC slams the inhumane, horrifying and barbaric conditions at the border under Biden and demands reparations for separated families after she was ridiculed for claiming record migrant crossings are not a surge. She said it wasn't a crisis and that anybody who says surge is trying to frame it militaristically. They're not. It's not a surge. They are not insurgents. It is not an invasion. Shut your mouth, you hypocrite. These, we, we knew this was going to happen. And if you took 10 minutes to research this and pay attention, we could have seen this coming a mile away. What would you have them do, AOC? I don't fault CBP for the fact that these kids are coming here. I fault the Biden administration and people like AOC for what? Thinking we should open the door and let them just walk in through the desert and collapse and die of dehydration to be carried in by human traffickers and then sold off to really nasty criminal organizations to allow drugs to flow in. Sorry, man. It's just not right. You know, Donald Trump, for all of his, his bombastic rhetoric, was talking about real issues that many people on the border know about and are upset about. Drugs. It happens. Trafficking. Even CNN filmed human traffickers. These are not good people. When Trump said that, they accused him of being racist. Perhaps Trump could have used a little bit more tact. But you see, AOC, she goes down and she films herself crying. She claims they're concentration camps. Then she comes out the other day saying it's not a surge. There's no border crisis. It's an imperialism crisis. And then what? Oh, yeah, people got mad at her. People on the left got mad at her saying, where are you at? Why are you defending Biden? So here she comes. Let's talk about this. She says AOC tore into President Joe Biden's administration's handling of the southern border crisis, calling conditions barbaric and inhumane during a town hall Wednesday evening. Now, I agree with that in that it is barbaric. It is inhumane. I don't think that is the problem. 
You see, AOC is ignoring what's actually causing this. CBP can't do anything. If you have a house with four bedrooms and 50 people show up and it's a thunderstorm, what are you going to do? Make them all sleep on the floor with a space blanket, aren't you? Because if you don't have the space, you don't have the space. AOC doesn't seem to actually care about solving the problem. She cares about just making it appear like she cares about the poor people so much. Yeah. Quote, as we've seen, there are arrivals and undocumented children, rather unaccompanied children that have come at the border. And this this had led to completely inhuman and unacceptable, horrifying conditions of children in CBP custody. And it's unacceptable and it's horrifying, AOC said. AOC didn't go as far as to blame Biden for the crisis. Oh, really? Claiming the president is working to fix the problem and instead blamed U.S. foreign policy for exacerbating bad situations in Central America, Central American countries where the migrants were fleeing. You see, it's not Joe Biden's fault. He's working to solve the problem. Duplicitousness. She doesn't actually care. I don't think she does. Or, or, or if she does, she's just not smart enough to actually help solve the problem. A lot of problems have counterintuitive solutions. Perhaps what we do is we implement something like a policy where if you want to come and claim asylum in America, you have to remain in the country of origin while you're being processed. Ah, that would mean that for many of these people, they'd have to remain in Mexico. Perhaps we could call it something that would refer to how we are protecting them. The migrant protection protocols. How does that sound? Oh, I'm sorry. That's what Trump did. And they said it was unjust and inhumane. Yes, conditions may be worse. And and for many of these people sitting along the Mexican border, how are you going to complain about concentration camps and barbaric conditions? But you're the one saying, bring them in. Is it not more barbaric to have them just wandering the desert? You realize that's what happens, right? These people don't come in and go to these cities. Some of them do when they're being tracked by CBP and then, you know, with catch and release. Many of them are traversing desert to try and make it to the interior of the U.S. And we've already heard the stories about what happened to some of these people. And it's sad, man. You know, look, I love this point that I've said before, and I'll say again, the people who not everybody who are risking their lives knowing they could die because they love they, they, they dream of America so much. It's brilliant. There was one conservative meme going around where they said for every illegal alien that we uh, uh, we, we allow in or every asyl- uh, asylum seeker we grant amnesty to, we deport one Democrat. And I got to be honest, it's a silly notion. I mean, people who live here are allowed to live here. You're, you're allowed to have bad opinions. But wouldn't this country improve greatly if the people who fought tooth and nail to get here believing in the American dream were the ones who were leading uh, uh, politics? Instead, what happens is you get these woke leftists who think America is evil and racist and white supremacist and all that other stuff. And they hate this place. They think America is the worst when, in fact, it's the best. Is it perfect? Of course it isn't. Anybody who's going to tell you that is trying to sell you something. No, we got problems and we've had problems, but man, are we good at fixing them. And hopefully we're good at fixing these, too. But that's why everybody wants to come here. Man, you will be wealthy and comfortable. What these people don't realize that flipping burgers and McDonald's for 10 bucks an hour, maybe 12 or 15, depending on where you live. Wow, you're rich. Go down to to Mexico. Now, they got some places where people make good money. A lot of places do. You can make six figures as a computer developer living in, say, Ukraine or Romania. But why don't you go to Ukraine? Tell me about how much money they're making. And then you will see why these people who could be scholars in Ukraine, in Kiev, will want to come to the U.S. to flip burgers because you make you make way more money, way more money. 
Man, I know people who make like 400 bucks a month in Ukraine, and that's like an average salary, 400 bucks, and they work full time. So it's no wonder people want to come here. So what do we do? We cannot just be the country that says, open the door and wander the desert and come on in and just go wherever. It'll be exploited and take advantage of. AOC says, I've been in contact with the Biden administration personally. What is different is they're trying to figure out how to find the resources to end this problem. She also claimed that families who were separated during Trump's presidency are owed reparations, period. I don't want to excuse any of this, she said of Biden's policies. We should be doing better now. Say his name. Say Joe Biden's policies. It wasn't difficult for Jonathan Carl, I believe, of ABC to say this is not a right wing talking point. This is a crisis. And, and again, I, I want a shout out to Veritas. It's a huge story. And, and this, you know, they want to claim all these really nasty things about Veritas and lie and cheat. The story came out in the Wall Street Journal and Veritas got us the proof. I mean, that is legit journalism right there. Now, granted, Veritas gets, has sources. They reach out. They provide evidence. That's journalism, man. That's what it was supposed to be. What do we get now? Activist tabloid garbage. They say the, comment, uh, the congresswoman's comments came the day after she was slammed for telling supporters during a lengthy Instagram live to stop calling the record number of migrants a surge, insisting that it's not. You know what, man? It is, it, it, it is really, really horrifying that the people who claim to want to put an end to this don't actually care. They don't actually care. AOC does not care. She did this big Twitter thread. She said a lot of people who are just now suddenly horrified at the dehumanizing conditions at our border are the same folks who dehumanized immigrants and helped build these cages in the first place. When we tried to stop this infrastructure over a year ago, we were overhauled by both parties. Stop this infrastructure. Okay. AOC, what, what do we do then? When a 13-year-old kid is with a 40-year-old man and they aren't communicating effectively or not telling what's going on or the kid straight up says, that's not my dad. Where do we put them? Do we just open the door and say, carry on, good sirs and young child, have fun? When a kid wanders in by himself or by herself, what do we do? Welcome to El Paso, everybody. Open the door and be on your way. Do we just let them go into the street? Or do we need facilities to help them? And because, check this out, when we tried to stop this infrastructure, oh, that I love, stop the infrastructure. You mean the detention facilities where kids are being held? And now because they don't have enough room, they're putting them under bridges? You mean to tell me that one of the reasons we may be seeing children sleeping in the dirt under a bridge is because you fought to prevent the infrastructure that they could have used to house these children? Absolutely incredible how the stupidity causes the suffering. I just can't stand it, man. It's insanity. Now, listen. New York Times, migrants are detained under a bridge in El Paso. What happened? This is from March 29th, 2019. This stuff was happening under the Trump administration. We all know it. The difference? Well, AOC says they're trying to figure it out. No, 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 no. Trump was working on it. You don't get to come and tell me that this is different now because Biden wants to solve the problem. You're going to pretend like Trump didn't want to solve the problem. I'm sorry. Trump did a lot of things to solve the problem. Did it solve the problem? Not completely. But he was very, very actively campaigning on shutting down illegal immigration because of the pull factor. Joe Biden quite literally campaigned on the opposite. A moratorium on deportations for 100 days. Well, he lost that battle. But that rhetoric 
tells these people Biden will cut you some slack. It encourages them to come. Now's your chance and you have to do it. So let's be real. I am saddened to see this photo of a man sleeping with their child, presumably, on some gravel. I don't, I don't want to see that. I want these people to be happy and successful. Uh, like I said, man, think about what they're willing to endure to find that American dream. Sleeping on gravel with a space blanket. They're sleeping on rocks. Can you imagine what that must feel like? I know what it feels like. I'm sure many of you who served overseas know exactly what it feels like as well. Imagine risking everything with no food, no water, crossing rivers, going to the desert because you know America is the greatest country on this planet. It's your opportunity. It's your chance. And Joe Biden offer up that chance. They're going to take it. I understand. I absolutely understand. But we don't want them to do this because it's not going to work out for them or anybody else. And, you know, in a sense, while I respect that gumption, I do not respect the selfishness and the arrogance trying to jump the line in front of everybody else who's fighting to come here for the same American dream. There's a reason why there's a process, because we don't want people to wind up being falling victim to gangs and drugs and violence and crime and poverty. Poverty breeds crime because people become desperate. That's just a reality that we see across the United States and around the world, that if we can lift up these communities, we can alleviate crime. We can provide for people and find a way for them to provide for themselves. So if we can't control where people are coming and where they're going when they're first entering this country, well, then they could be exploited. It could breed crime and it could make their lives worse. They could end up in jail. They could get deported for committing crimes. We don't want that. We want them to come here and have a good time. Under Donald Trump, I will not say he did a perfect job, but I understand the things that were done. Under Joe Biden today, He's absolutely not doing a perfect job. In fact, he's doing a very bad job with his rhetoric. But I understand, you know, the detention centers. I understand you got you got you bring these kids in. You got to track who they are and have them fill out their names and try and understand where they came from, why they're here, who their parents are. We're seeing a major surge in unaccompanied minors. But instead of getting real leadership, we get AOC because maybe that's what we deserve, I guess, until we can change the laws. But maybe we can't. Maybe the system is just too insane at this point. The other day I was talking to Jack Murphy in the IRL podcast, and I was talking about how I, you know, blanket statement tax the rich. I don't literally mean vaguely just tax every single rich person. Certainly, I don't care about the ultra billionaires and Bezos and his mass wealth, but I also realize wealth taxes don't work. So I don't know what you're going to do anyway. The point I'm making is that the wealthy individuals flood the zone. They from the people, the Hollywood liberals and progressives in California dump ridiculous sums of money into super PACs to support AOC. So in her district in New York, people can be manipulated into voting for people like her. I'm not a fan. So long as that system is in place, AOC will just say whatever she needs to say to get followers, to make people think she's fighting. And now here she is defending the Biden administration. Oh, the conditions are horrible, but he's trying to solve it. I've spoken to them. Did you speak to Donald Trump's administration? Did they tell you we want kids to suffer? No, I guarantee you the Trump administration would have said we're trying to solve the problem. So I'll put it this way. I think Joe Biden is trying to solve the problem. I just think he's weak. I think Donald Trump's tried to solve the problem. He's a bit over the top, but still strong enough. Now we have a president who has increased the poll factor or created the perception that there's an opportunity to come in. I certainly think the Biden administration is trying. I certainly understand the difficult choices CBP and the Biden administration have to make when it comes to uh, detaining these kids. So I'll give them, I will defend Biden absolutely in that regard. I know they're inhumane and horrifying conditions. AOC is right in that regard. But you can't just claim all of a sudden now Biden is okay. 
Sorry. Donald Trump was trying. Joe Biden is trying. But Joe Biden is not as good as Trump. I'll give him respect for trying, but I must criticize and point out the weakness of his rhetoric is encouraging this. He denies it. He needs to accept it. Otherwise, it'll just get worse. And we need to be more active in politics. Otherwise, we'll just get more Ocasio-Cortez's. I'll leave it there, my friends. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at YouTube.com slash Timcast. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then.